Hey, welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. Today's guest is Robert Kandel. This dude has been around for a minute. He's written a book. He's taught more than 10,000 people how to have better intimacy, better relationships, more aligned communication, better sex. He begins the episode with a radical story of his experience at an orgy at Burning Man. And we go all over the place from there. The first half is primarily about his life, his experiences. And the second half, we dive into some very specific and practical approaches that we can all take to enhance our communication, to enhance our understanding, to bring ourselves closer to those around us. It's a really powerful episode. Robert is a good dude, very interesting human being, and I think you're going to love it. Enjoy. Robert Candell, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. It's good to meet you, man. In person. In person, live, in your studio, surrounded by a blue piece of fabric on all the walls. These are the U-Haul moving mats, Oh, which are great for on-the-cheap sound padding <laughs> for your podcast studio. They are super stylish. Um, I don't know if they're really stylish. It depends where your standard of style yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in a van for a little while. Okay, yeah. From a van perspective, it's pretty good. This is an up level. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so for people who don't know you, have never heard of you, have no idea uh, what you do, who are you? What do you do? What's your deal? My name is Rob Candell. I am a life coach, writer, podcaster. My The way I described my life was I was normal. So I was around 28. Uh, then I went to Burning Man, and everything got <laughs> totally etch-a-sketch after that. Wow. I, we can talk about those experiences, but really just totally etch-a-sketch my life. I was in San Francisco at the time, and then I came back to San Francisco with my first wife, Carol, and we started to explore mostly around our sexuality. Did that for a few years, met some amazing people, and then in 2004, uh, founded something called One Taste, one Taste uh, taught the practice of orgasmic meditation, built it from a paper napkin sketch to an international eight-figure business, uh, burnt out in 2014 after 10 years, said, I'm done, sold my shares, came to Venice Beach, California, and recreated my life. And since then, I've been working on my own podcast. I um, wrote my first book, and I do life coaching. I'm also a fractional CFO, married to an amazing woman, co-parenting two kids and have two dogs. Yeah, that's my life. That was a good synthesis, man. Thank you, thank you. And here I was thinking that we'll talk about male and female dynamics, and then all of a sudden you just dropped this bomb that Burning Man yeah. radically shifted your view of life and sexuality and upended your direction. Indeed. So, I mean, I, it would be rude of me not to ask, like, what the hell is that about, man? Surely there's a story there. There is. There's a good story there, actually. So... When I was 28, uh, I was married. I, I was like living my father's dream, like really what it came down to. I was like succeeding in his path. Mm. Corporate America, house in San Francisco, five bedrooms, enough for the grandchildren, not children, but to produce male progeny, you know, rising up the corporate ladder, the whole thing, but also married to a woman I did not know. You know, we were kind of passing the night, no sex life, mm. um, no communication around it, overweight, overworked, the whole thing. So then she says, hey, do you want to go to Burning Man? And I was like, no. 
Because Burning Man, the only thing I knew, this is 1998, the only thing I knew about Burning Man was a picture book that came out a year prior, which showed naked people walking around the desert encrusted in mud. Mm. I guess there was a mud spring or something. Anyway, I was like, no, I don't want to go. And she's like, please. And I was like, no. And she's like, please. I'm like, all right. So I went. And then so we drive up a few months later, get out of the car, and the words came to me, you're home. And I was like, huh. And then the first couple of days, I actually felt really comfortable. Then on the third day, Carol, my first wife, said, hey, there's a camp that has orgies. Do you want to go? And the funny part about that is like our sex life was really vanilla. Like I had a secret mm. porn fantasy, but I never told, we never talked about it. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to. We were like, yeah, I'd love to go. And so a few hours later, we're driving up to the tent. It was called Delilah's Den, expecting this, you know, Roman-esque, you know, nudity and sex everywhere. And open the tent, flaps, and it's 300 guys and three women, me and Carol. So there was no orgy going on at the time. So left dejected. But then what happened was we started to talk about our sex life and started to get mm. honest. And it was the first honest conversation I had in my life around sex. Mm. And all of a sudden, she's like, I was like, you're not the last woman in my life I want to kiss. She's like, you're not the last guy in my life I want to kiss. I was like, what? And so we, one truth led to another truth. And then that was really the start of this hero's journey. So the start of your hero's journey was accepting an invitation to an orgy at yes. Burning Man. Yes, exactly. That's just wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I think all heroes' journeys should include orgies somewhere along the line. It's but. pretty fascinating to look back, right? I imagine in that moment you didn't anticipate having a radical transformation in no. your life path. No, no. And so it was that curiosity and saying yes. Well, well, it was shocking. More, more, most importantly, but you know, I, I, you know, back in 1998, there was no, you know, you porn or there was no mm. free porn. Um, that came in 2008, but there was no. So everything was stories. I read internet news mm. group stories, and my favorite were orgies. And so for her to say, "Do you want to go?" It was like, "Oh my God!" Like this is going to come true. And of course. It happened later, but it didn't happen that night. But just the, yeah. the shock of it was thrilling. So, so, so you were like, you have all that anticipation building, right? Yes. And, and then you get to the, the flaps of the tent. Yeah. And, and you're like ready, and you've been fantasizing yeah. about this. And you open it, and there's 300 men. Yeah. And so what, what happened then? What did that feel like? Uh, it's, it's like, uh, you know when it's cold, like your testicles go back <laughs> in your body, or like your heart sinks or crushes? That's what it's like, because it was really like six hours or seven hours of deep anticipation and hunger and like mm. 28 years of lustful desires and childhood fantasies and male fantasies, and then you open the flap and... There's 300 guys looking for the same exact thing. I, no I picture it like an old like Wild West saloon where yeah. you, you walk in and everybody just turns and yeah. looks at you. It's like, oh, yeah. well, at least there's one woman that walked in. Yeah, uh, yeah, and she was very popular. Carol was very popular, I and I was the, not as popular. The odds are pretty was. good. Uh, what is that, 75 to 1? Something uh, like this? So that would be, th yeah, it's about 75 to 1. Good math. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's a story, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so then you go back after the burn yes. to San Francisco, yes. start having uh, more intimate discussions around truth and sexuality with your partner. Right. 
And then, and then what happened? So we came back to San Francisco, and this is the late 90s, so it was like ideal for this to happen mm. because there was a sex positive scene, there was the rave scene, there was ecstasy, there was, you know, the whole spectrum was available, and we just started to meet people. And we took workshops uh, with various organizations and just threw ourselves into it. Uh, one group is called the Welcome Consensus. They're an offshoot of a 60s group called More. And so we spent two years with them, going deep in their workshops, you know, exploring non-monogamy, exploring my own ego, my chauvinism, my mm. possessiveness. I mean, having my ego ripped out of my heart, going to the depths of jealousy, you know, like, like you know, driving my scooter on the great highway of San Francisco and thinking, what's the math to drive my scooter under that bus's tire? Like, really, like, the insanity of, of anger and jealous rage. And it was uh, epic, epic four or five years of exploration. Would, would you say that's like the shadow work, shadow exploration? Deep, deep shadow like deep work. Deep in it, man. Yeah. Because I thought I was a nice guy. Yeah. I was not a nice guy. Right. I am many things. And to get to that place where you're literally thinking about driving underneath a bus right. because the work is so intense or confronting. Yes. Like, that's a thing. That's a thing. And so how did you deal with that? I didn't drive into the bus. I'm aware of that. <laughs> I, um, the thing was that once I saw the truth of who I was, until, you know, Burning Man was August uh, 1998. My first workshop was in March of 1999. And after that first workshop, I really got a very strong glimpse of what lied uh, underneath this facade and I really got to see myself and I saw the image of myself and then I saw what we call light in the shadow the part I couldn't see mm. and the second I saw the depth of my shadow I knew there was no going back it's like I took the red pill like I just saw what was true mm -hmm. and then I was just became obsessed with understanding every aspect of me every aspect of Carol, every aspect of sexuality. I was like my researcher's mind, my, my curiosity flew. Mm. And uh, it's just been incredible. My life has just been incredible since that one moment. Yeah, and, and you said something earlier about you were living the life of your dad's dreams. Totally. Some, so that line to me is beautifully encapsulated, but I think it also results from doing a tremendous amount of self-inquiry mm -hmm. and, and work, right? To have that epiphany and I feel like once you have that insight of right. like this isn't even the life I want right like I don't even want this house I don't even want these extra four bedrooms or right. whatever then suddenly you can't unlearn that right right there's no going back right and so then it becomes a choice of like well what are you gonna do with that thing are right. you going to deny your truth persistently and consistently mm -hmm. forever and just feel angsty and and uh, resisting your own truth, or are you going to act on it and decide to go a different way? Right. And you've acted on it and gone a very different way. Exactly. And so what was that like in your head when you kind of felt that first ping of truth, so to speak, let's call it, and then having to do, I imagine there was a battle there of like, wait, I've got the job, I've got the house, everything's happy, and, and then that like inner twang saying, Psst, hey, there's more, Right. There, there's different. Well, the shadow was like layers. So I just saw the first layer. I, I don't know what would have happened if I would have seen the whole <laughs> spectrum in the beginning. Mm. Would I just run? Was it simply possible? But I saw enough in that first moment, in that first workshop, 
which is really the first chapter of my book. It was just as my wake up call. Um, I saw enough to be like, oh, I can't go back. And my life really totally etch a sketch. Remember, like, you know, you mm. shake the etch a sketch and you get to draw again. Really did. And it caused a lot of problems. Like, I, I really spent all my money. <laughs> you know, I walked into the world, you know, from an inheritance and building and working hard with a million bucks. And there was a point um, about eight years into my journey where I was broke. I was thinking, should I get the burrito with the extra chicken? Because mm. it'll keep me full compared to the regular burrito. Should I spend the extra buck on the extra chicken? Yes, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I hit that point. Uh, but I got my soul. Like, I really got my soul, maybe for the first time in mm. this evolution. So, uh, you know, my father disowned me when I was 30 via fax, um, a facsimile. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah that, and so for those listening who are younger, that's like an email, but in, in <laughs> paper real form. paper form that comes out of a machine on your desk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So your dad faxed you and said, "Hey, I disown you." Basically, basically. it was a seven-page missive excommunication disownment. Because why? Because I had gone so far off his path. I had gone so far, and to really, you know, give credit where credit was deserved. I was so unwieldy. I was so poor in my communication skills that I was just like, ah, you know, like I was exploding with excitement about discovering the shadow and the fun of sexuality and the possibility. And I had such a, a truthful relationship with my parents. I just told them everything without ever noticing that their little circuit breakers were flipping off <laughs> your, like your dad's crazy. Twitching. Exactly, like ah, shock therapy. <laughs> so I was not very skillful in communicating, but he, he also, you know, I, I thought. I was unconditionally loved. I wasn't. Mm. Mm. And so what happened was he just got more and more disenchanted, more and more scared, and basically did not want to participate in what he saw as my downfall, um, in which he, from his perspective, that's what he saw. But for me, it was my awakening. It was my hero's journey. It's, mm. you know, there was the great awakening of my soul. Yeah. I wrote this line a while back that said, love yourself enough that you're okay disappointing other people mm -hmm. and I feel like it's that yeah being like I can live your life right. until you're dead and then start living my life for me but I'm just going to choose to not right and like to risk being disowned I mean that's powerful yeah and yeah. so what were the ramifications immediately after like how did you feel what did you do well here's the setup and which is even more quote I'm using unquote so <laughs> it was my 30th birthday party I was uh, about a year in a year and a half after Burning Man about a year into this work mm. and there was a community that we were connected to so there were like 25 people in my house and we were going to do ecstasy that night and so I'm going to my office to get a pen or a piece of paper and all of a sudden the fax machine you know it's like seven o'clock on a Saturday mm -hmm. night and the fax machine goes off and you know it was really loud and I'm like oh, I wonder who's faxing me at this point and I see my dad's writing and so like I'm reading this seven page and the fax machine it, for, for the long ones it just keeps printing yeah. right it's like a, a cyclical thing it's yeah just, it's not like an email that shows up you yeah. click and you scroll it's yeah. like it's you know long. one page a minute or a uh -huh. page and a minute and a half or a, so those pages took a long ass time to come out <laughs> and i felt my heart crushing and my rage boiling <laughs> and so then i had to put the fax down you read it immediately as i you read got, it okay which you know in hindsight i wish well it was perfect the way it is yeah. so i put it down i went out to my party I took ecstasy and tried to forget it, which I could not do. 
but it was mm. you know very intense to feel all that yeah and you were married at that time I was married and so then you kind of went your own way I did and so then what happened I'm like so fast <laughs> I didn't anticipate talking about any of this but now I'm like it, it's like the movie of your life I'm like uh, and then what happened like so you, you said you started in orgasmic meditation, meditation. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll get there. So uh, that's 30. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we were hanging out with this group called the Welcome Consensus. Took intense training with them for about a year. Training on what kind of stuff? Um, well, they had a practice called doing. And I can talk graphically. Please. Okay. So yeah. doing is taking the most dexterous part of one person's body, the index finger, and stroking the most sensitive part of a woman's body, the upper left-hand quadrant of her clitoris, for a 15-minute practice. Up, down, up, down. And that's Te it. That's it. Teaching men to feel, teaching women to receive, teaching about the power of orgasm. So we took that concept in one taste in when we started in 2004 and reworked it from a woman's perspective and rebranded it and added yoga and added a practice orgasmic meditation which was a practice of partnered practice of 15 minutes of stroking genitals to feel the most sensation which created a whole concept a whole technology a whole world around this practice took it from a paper napkin sketch in 2004 yeah. to an international eight-figure business 11 million in 2015 people practicing taking workshops learn to be a coach so when you say you rebranded it that term orgasmic meditation that's copyrighted you in, you invented that I well not me personally my but my my company you're, you're, and my crew right I didn't I didn't realize that because yeah. I've heard that term often in this spiritual woo -woo yeah. place like and so you took it was called doing doing was more and welcome consensus from the 1960s right. one taste started in 2004 right took the practice added a lot of other elements to it mm. it's not just doing redone it really yeah. has a lot to do very different it's like doing 2.0 or 4.0 it's or yeah it's a it's a read you know I, people mm. often think we just photocopied it and we mm. didn't at all but it had very strong influences from the the past and we uh turned it into a practice and you know new york times you know yeah, all yeah. across the board did you anticipate that when you started we did you thought like this is going to be huge we did we were a little arrogant, though. Yeah. We thought it was going to happen like that. We didn't think it was going to take eight years right. to really hit, but and, it did. And what did that feel like when suddenly it was a... Because it was like a cultural phenomenon, right? An explosion. Or maybe that's a bad pun, but... In certain worlds, for sure, it's very big. Mm. Um, yeah, Tim Ferriss uh, wrote about it in The 4-Hour Body. He called mm. it the 15-Minute Orgasm. New York Times, you know, across the board. Cosmo, mm. you can go, you know, all the major magazines, Playboy... Uh, then Bloomberg wrote a very uh, negative article about the company in 2018. So mm. it's been a whirlwind of uh, experience yeah. as well. Okay, man. So you did that. <laughs> <laughs> T we tackled the the Burning Man orgy, yeah. leading to the orgasmic meditation. Yeah. And now, did I skip a step uh, before you become like life coach, men's work, podcast guy? During the years of One Taste. Um, I was a computer engineer. Like I was a, <laughs> I was a programmer. That yeah. was my training. But right. I also, my mom uh, was a therapist. So I had both my father's 
analytical skill and my mother's mm. empathic skill. Mm. And so we're starting one chase and all of a sudden they're like, okay, you're going to go teach this class or you're going to sit my own. And I was like, uh, okay. And so all of a sudden I was thrown into the position of teacher and coach really on mm. some, some ways, one step ahead of our students. Right. Um, but, but like, I think that's important because that's all you need to be. Right. And I think there's a big uh, misconception among people, especially starting business or becoming po coaches or becoming experts, that you kind of have to have it all figured out. Mm -mm. You have to have all your shit together in order to do the work to help somebody. And, right. and the reality is, and sorry, I'm on a little tangent soapbox here, but the reality is you only have to have one step further along the journey and you only need to solve one problem for one person mm -hmm. and you can launch an entire business. Mm -hmm. So that's just a, an aside if you're listening and, and you're like wanting to start your business. Right. Like start the business. My only addition would be be yeah. authentic about it. Totally. I'm one step ahead of you, but it's a good step. But it's a big step. It's a big step. It's going to change your life. Yeah. And I had to go to the place in my shadow where I wanted to drive under a bus to get it. Right. <laughs> so right. I'm going to sell it to you. Yeah. These are my <laughs> stories. Ah, I remember back in, you know, exactly. Yeah, man. So during my tenure at One Taste, I taught over 400 workshops. Um, about that specific orgasmic orgasm. meditation, men's mm. work, communication, mm. uh, relationships. We did uh, we did anything we could to make money and expand the business. Mm. And so during that time, I started the men's program at One Taste and did that for six years and fell in love with it. And so when I left in 2014, it was one of my many tools to bring out into the world. Men's work specifically. Yes. So did you recognize in in that moment of doing the men's work that this was maybe a thing or that this was a calling that would help you in the future? Or was it more no. just like, yeah, I have to do these men's groups? Well, we were getting our asses kicked by the women. Oh. Basically. How, how do you mean? Like, what does that mean? In society, <laughs> men really have the power position. You know, whether you... Men do. Men do. Yes. Uh, well, uh, from the higher level external because there's a patriarchy. Right. Uh, you know, really look across the board. Men are still in the power position. Mm. Underneath it, my opinion, is women are really running the show. Like, they really are. And what's happening in the last 20 or 30 years, and we can talk about that, is that women are becoming more and more uh, powerful and forceful and out in the world. From the schooling system to the boardroom, women are really coming out and finding their balance. So it reminds me of that quote. I don't remember who said it. It was one of the the most popular feminist back in the day, but we, we have learned to raise our daughters more like our sons, but we haven't been brave enough to raise our sons like our daughters, mm -hmm. something like this? Yeah. Gloria Steinem, maybe? Sounds that way. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so the idea is women are becoming more masculine, right. more powerful, etc. Yes. And starting to kick our ass, metaphorically. Mm, yes. And maybe literally at times. Yes. And so then you came in? In the One Taste ecosystem that mm. were run by women, women completely ran the show. Mm. Like, we were important. We were <laughs> needed on many levels. But women completely dominated that system. Mm. And so men, you know, by their nature, tend to be more solo in their approach. They're, they tend to be the solo hunters out there in the world, while women are, you know, our biology, their biology is really trained to be uh, communal and connective and share information. And so in the one taste system, after three or four years of the women getting more and more powerful, more and more connected, knowing everything about every guy, everything that's going on, you couldn't do anything without it being talked about. The men looked around and were like, huh, maybe we should be friends and allies 
and support each other rather than look at each other like competitors, look at each mm. other like allies. And so the men's program started in 2008, if I remember correctly, four years in, and it really shifted the whole ecosystem of one taste because guys are no longer like, I'm going to knock you out of the way to get you know, a date with that woman. Now we're like, how can I help you get that date? How can I, how can I help you to be a better man? How can I help me be a better man? Mm. It was almost that scarcity to abundance kind of mindset shift. Yes. Right. Yeah, it was a big piece. Yeah, and so from the get-go, what was the main intention of those men's groups? Well, it's funny because when we would do gender groups, women would talk about sex and men would talk about feelings. Hmm. Because in society, you know, men are not, it's not safe for a man to really talk mm. about his feelings. And so what do we do? We shut them down. Uh, in one taste, we created a space where men could talk about their feelings, their anger, their fear, their worries, uh, their comparison, the competition. We really gave a space for it. And once you allow a feeling to arise out of your shadow into the light, it doesn't have as much power. Mm. And so really, it was a place for men to talk about what was going on the inside without worrying about losing position or not looking cool. Like we just got really real with each other. Uh, and it was an amazing experience. Yeah, and it sounds safe is the word that comes to mind yeah. whenever I hear about things like that. Like, hey, you're safe. We are not going to judge you. We're not going to shame you. Ironically, most of us probably feel the exact same thing that you do mm-hmm. or have, have felt that thing. And I think from my experience hosting retreats and workshops and things, it's that container is such an essential component mm-hmm. of the work. Mm-hmm. I often think that a retreat is like 80% of just the vibe mm-hmm. or the location. And then once you get people there and you just create that safety and you ask a couple powerful questions, it just unravels and yeah. unpacks. Yeah, we taught a men's weekend called the Ignited Man's Weekend. Ignited? Ignited Man. Okay. It was so much fun. And Friday night was about bonding. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday we went deep in the shadow, <laughs> yeah. deep into the shadow with a great exercise on Saturday night that killed the guys. And then Sunday was sort of putting them back together. And yeah. It was amazing. I had, that was my favorite thing to do was teach that weekend. Yeah, it's fun, to, it's fun to see the unraveling from an outsider perspective because you absolutely understand and recognize that this is the path. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're falling apart. And they're like, I'm sorry, I'm crying, I'm sorry, I'm crying. Mm-hmm. Like, no, 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 this is perfect. Yeah. You're exactly where you need to be. Yeah. Like, crack wide open, ha- having seen people go through it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're good. This is fine. Yeah, bring it. It's all going to be okay. And then that, that last day, I imagine, you know, the big hugs, the tears, mm-hmm. the, hey, I can't believe this just happened kind of thing. Because most men don't have the place mm. to be themselves, to be real. You know, my whole book is called Unhidden. It's about living unhidden, bringing what's inside out. Mm. That is just so rare for a man. Um, more and more now today, but still a very small percentage. And I think a lot of the problems that exist in terms of violence and anger and the rape culture has to do with a lack of release for men to bring what's inside out. And mm. so if the world can have more space for men to be authentic and real and approve of them, then I think a lot of the charge between the genders would decrease. And so how do we do that? What we're doing right now. <laughs> Having the conversation? Having the conversation. Yeah, man. Just talking the truth and being you know, creating presence and space mm. for us to be authentically who we are. Yeah, it's so powerful to recognize how how quickly things can change from mm-hmm. just a generation ago 
and you, I look back at you know like my dad or your dad mm -hmm. who was raised by a, a dude that was born 20 30 years before that mm -hmm. who was raised by a guy from the fucking 1800s mm -hmm. in, in which there were no philosophical conversations mm -hmm. there was no, nobody went to the library to read about men's work mm -hmm. and there was a radically different world mm -hmm. that all of those people are growing up yeah and we've come a really long way and I think it's important to recognize that for for those listening like yeah the world's fucked up in mm -hmm. certain ways and it's also improving in certain ways mm -hmm. and just having these conversations so how then um, like how do we create that space if, if someone's listening that's in a in a relationship dynamic or they want to help you know bring about these changes because they believe in um, getting men to share feelings to express emotions etc what are some sort of practical things that they can do mm -hmm. well I go over a lot of this in my book my book is really written as a pragmatic guide mm. for men and women to get along in the 21st century so just know it's in there like I took my best and put it in the book but <laughs> here's what's up the book unhidden book unhidden a book yeah. for men and I'll, those confused by them I'll send a link in the um, in the show notes I appreciate sure. that appreciate that um, so the first, so if you're a woman and you realize that your man is closed, doesn't feel safe, mm. just know that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing is, is you can go back through his history. You might know it, you might not know it, where it could be from his earliest days, he's been put in a box mm. where his emotions were not welcome. They were not rewarded. He was taught to uh, calm down. He was taught to be small. And that anger is raging in there. He was looked at other guys when he was young and worried about the comparison of being called a sissy, to be calling a baby. You know, you know, real men don't cry. All the hackney things we've heard. So just know you're looking at the history and you're being impacted by his history of his emotions being persecuted. So just know that. So here's the practical way I recommend. You sit with him and you go really slow and you remove all the distractions you can. Get rid of the phones, get rid of the music, you have the kids, get a sitter, just be you and him. And you you say to him, listen, I heard this podcast, I read this book, I read this article, and I realize that uh, it, it probably isn't safe for you to show me your feelings. Like, what you're doing is validating his experience. You're letting him know you understand and you approve and validate where he's at. The second thing would be like, I, and you say this looking in his eyes, say, I want to be a place where you can be true and more to yourself. And I want you to know that if you have requests of me of how to have that feel safe, I want you to know that I'm willing to listen. So number two is you're creating a safe space for him to come out. And number three is the most important. The reason I want to open this space is because I want to invest in our relationship. I want to be closer to you. I want to know you. I want to know every aspect of you. And I want to show you all of me. I want to be like, this is the best relationship of my life. I want us to know each other deeply. And I realize if you don't feel safe, that's not going to happen. So I want you to know the reason for a man, the goal, men love goals, is so we can have the better relationship, the better sex, the better intimacy. So you're validating, you're creating the space, and giving a man a goal. To me, is this is the fastest, quickest way for him to feel safe to reveal himself. I love that. And 
I'm intrigued by this idea of, I, I just picture myself, you know, three years ago, five yeah. years ago, and my girlfriend sits me down and says all that. My, my uh, knee-jerk response is just, oh shit, like scary, like uncomfortable laughter, I imagine, yeah. or avoidance, or yeah. just like, oh my God, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like what, I have no idea what this is. Right. Um, and so I think one thing that I love hearing, at least in my, my own experiences, and I talked about this in a, another podcast with uh, Syl- Sylvie. Oh. Um, do you know Sylvie? Yeah, Brian's. Yeah. Brian's lady. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, just this idea of reinforcing, um, hey, I'm not going anywhere. And like, you're not in trouble. Right. And you're not bad. Uh, and we're good. But like, you're really important to me. So mm-hmm. like, like, let's be, let's see what's possible. Right. right. Let's see how good a sex life we could create. Like, let's see how much love we could feel each day. Um, sort of framing it from a, from an affirming sort of optimistic kind mm-hmm. of perspective rather than a, hey, uh, now that you're here alone and right. the kids are gone, right. here's 12 things that I, that I can't stand that you do. Right, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> that, is insane. that is not a good strategy. Because you're, you're inviting him into a game. Mm. So you can frame it like a game. Let's see how hot our sex life can be. Mm. Let's see how free we both feel telling each other the truth. Yeah. Let's see, you know, which secret will turn us on the most. Like, whatever. Mm. You make it into a game. It's a partnership. Because most men, are, you know, are expected. They're, they're used to disapproval. We live in a society of disapproval. Mm. Everything that you do is wrong. You know, you're too fat. You're too thin. You work mm. too much. You work too little. You know, you don't, you're not good in bed, like, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you sit in that approval and, like, let's see how big we can make this love, mm. very attractive to a man. Yeah, it's like that old marketing adage of uh, sell them what they want and give them what they need. Yeah. You heard of that? Like, yeah, I have. Like, a guy can get on board with a better sex life yeah. very quickly, I imagine. Uh, and if you tell him, yeah, the way to do that is to share your feelings with me mm-hmm. and to like have more eye contact and say the scary thing and, like let me in mm-hmm. right that uh, that becomes kind of like it's almost like a Trojan horse yeah. like hey you want a better sex life great like tell me about your shame right or, like let, let me know what hurts you um, okay so that's the three step process mm-hmm. and Anything to add to that? Well, just know it's gonna, it's not going to be instantaneous. Like, you have yeah. to, you know, if you want a man to open up, one, you have to demonstrate it mm. and be that. And two, you have to have patience because women in general have connection to their emotions, what's called emotional intelligence. They're given permission to investigate that. And so you have to show the way. And you have to be very patient. You know, if that guy's 30 years old, he has 30 years of saying, no, do not show any emotion, no pain, mm. no gain. Be stoic. You know, don't be a baby. Don't cry. They've taught these messages. And so mm. be patient. Uh, gently unravel rather than demand. If you demand, he'll retreat. So mm. patience is important. Yeah, and, and recognizing as well from that compassionate, empathetic place that even though to you what he's saying or doing or feeling might not be a big deal mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. It might just be like, yeah, it's a tear on your cheek. Yeah. To, to the man who has had his entire life telling him that's wrong, that's bad, you're you're weak, right. you're not good enough. Uh, having a tear on his cheek is is like Humongous. the most vulnerable, scary thing in the world. Yeah. And I think also this came up with the conversation with Sylvie too is is that we don't as we as men and um, we don't necessarily 
uh, we're not fluent in describing what's happening in our bodies. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily have the language. Mm -hmm. We just like get frustrated mm -hmm. easily and express and grunt and rage and throw things. Um, and so I think helping to guide that process of like, hey, what's happening mm -hmm. right now? How do you feel? Tell me, tell me how your heart is. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's too woo woo, but um, any pointers on that of of like uh, so they so they do the three step framework. They hold the space. The man starts opening up, but then perhaps he shuts down a bit. It's or just like part of the process, and mm. you can name it. Like, can I can I reflect back what I just felt from you? This is a woman could say. Can I reflect back what I you asking consent? Yeah. So you told me this really intimate thing about your mom and how you felt growing up, and then I just noticed you, or my perspective, it felt like you closed. Mm. Was that true for you? And then he'll say yes, no, or maybe. He might not know. But again, you're with approval, with positivity. I noticed this thing. Is it true? And then you start to build the language, the language of emotions and connection. Mm. So what are like... Uh two or three great questions that uh, so people I'm thinking of people like writing something on their hand or something okay. like having a cheat sheet you know or they can memorize beforehand if because then um, from the other partner's perspective the one that initiates the dialogue that that starts the conversation mm -hmm. right I feel like that can also be quite intimidating as well sure. to, to suddenly go to this place that you've never been before and you're you don't know how your partner's going to respond mm -hmm. maybe he's got an anger problem where mm -hmm. he's stressed or he's tired or whatever and you're and you're kind of like feeling like you're nagging or mm -hmm. you know forcing the issue so to speak what are a couple questions that you kind of draw back on in your own work or own dialogue uh, for for me, it's mostly uh, tactile. You know, what are you feeling right now? What do you feel in your body? Like you can actually, you can translate physical responses: heat in the chest, tightness in the tightness in the in the eyes, or clenching of the hands. You can actually use physicality to educate someone a connection of their emotional response because it's much easy to feel physical attributes. Mm. The second thing is 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 like, okay, uh, what did you want to get out of that? Or what was the goal? Or what's the benefit? Or you know, what was your motivation for that? When you understand people's motivations, then their behaviors become less difficult to understand. Like uh, you totally uh, cut out on me, and all of a sudden I felt you were there and then you were gone. What was your motivation? Well, my motivation was I felt scared. And I didn't know how to act, and I didn't want to look like an idiot. Oh, the humanity of that will rise. Yeah. Um, and another one is like, if you um, if you do that, what do you think you'll lose? What do you think mm. is the fear of loss around a behavior? You know, if I if I actually flirted with that girl in front of you, I fear you'd be really mad at me and torture me. And the woman be like, well, it might turn me on if we do it together. And I was like, what? But it's like <laughs> you can start to get in. What are you afraid of losing? Because mm. people are moved by inspiration or desperation. They're moved by something that inspires them, something that they want to see, a great book, a great movie, a great athlete, or desperation. Um, wow, I'm watching too much porn or I'm 30 pounds overweight. So getting into people's motivation of why they do things is a great clue mm. into their character. Mm. Yeah, we're just animals deep down that yeah. want more good, less bad. Right. Right. We want the most good with the least amount of effort. 
right? <laughs> we're lazy or efficient. We are lazy, right? efficient mortar machines. Yeah, and I think that's a powerful idea too. Of, of uh, I often say this to um, to partners I date is like, how can I win? Mm. Like, and to use that as a sports metaphor, like, okay. Help, help me understand right. how I can win right, right now. Like, do you need to be heard? Right. Do you need to be hugged? Do you need to just go to the gym and punch some shit for a while? Mm-hmm. Do you need me to disappear for an hour so you can take a bath? Like, help me win. Because I think deep down, men want to, like, we want to be good. Yeah. We want to do well. We want to make people proud of us, mm-hmm. right? At a core level. And I think a lot of the frustrations or uh, perceived inadequacies arrive when we sort of judge ourselves harshly yeah. or we have guilt and shame from who we are, what we've done, yeah. and we kind of don't know what to do with that. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. We've, I mean, you've been there. We've, yeah, we've been there. a thousand times. Yeah. Um, gosh, where do we even go from here? What do we, what do we skipped over? What's important for a, uh, for a relationship in, as a whole? If you were saying to somebody, Hey, if you want to radically change your relationship, in what are these two or three topics that that would help? Like going back to that, more good, more lazy, mm-hmm. right? Small things, big impact. Well, for for women to to know that they deeply impact us, even though we don't show it. So mm-hmm. just know that we're deeply impacted by women, and that we do feel. We do Even feel, if you we feel don't like, show it. Yes. Right. You might think that your man is closed off and this big tough guy that right. has never cries, but like he feels shit. Right. Um, My teacher liked to call guys uh, tinder kegs of uh, affection looking for a place to go off. Wow. Like we're just, we love to love. We love to love women. Mm-hmm. We might not know how to love women, but just know that one of our greatest drives is to love a woman well. And we're very harsh on ourselves if we don't know what we're doing, and we won't admit that we don't know what we're doing. Mm. So it's the worst of all cases, right? We're trapped. We're like, I wanna love her so bad, and I am so clumsy, but I am so afraid of not looking cool. So we just, you know. And I can't admit that to my friends, because what will they say? Exactly. Then I'm I'm definitely not good. And I'm reading, watching porn, trying to figure things out, and you don't Mm. like that, but you kind of say you like it. It's very confusing. Mm. So just know that, you know, we're deeply impacted. Mm. For men, I think the the main thing to say is uh, come up with a concept that you're doing it right and there's ways to do it better. Mm. I think men spend a lot of time not liking themselves, beating themselves up. And if you can start off that you're good, you can go to better. Mm. You can't go from bad to better. You can just go from bad to good and then good to better. And then all of a sudden that better becomes good and there's a next level of better. Mm. So like climbing the mountain, like every time you hit the top of a mountain, there's another mountain to climb, but enjoy the journey. Mm. You know, men are so uh, results orientated. If you can enjoy the journey, whether it be sex or a job or your physical health, if you can start off with you're doing it right and you can do it better to enjoy the journey, then your life will up level from that spot. Mm. Just that radical acceptance of, um, I'm doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. And like if you're listening to this, like you are doing the best that you can yeah. because 
if you knew better, you would do better. It's that old cliche. Yeah, right? I mean, we're, we're improvising life, right? We yeah. think there's a script, but really every second <laughs> of our life is stimuli response, stimuli response. And mm-hmm. so if you can get into the mode like you're doing good and then it's, you know, just open the capacity for more, yeah. then life looks very different than you're beating yourself up. So yeah. I often say that. I, I totally agree with you. That, that uh, idea of being gentle, mm-hmm. I think is such a powerful thing. Um, for ourselves, for our partners, for our society as well. Like, hey, like, you're doing okay. You know, nobody ever taught you how to do this. Right. Nobody ever sat you down. You didn't have a, a, a Robert Candell mm. as a kid that was like, hey, we're going to spend an hour a week learning how to be a man. Right. Like, it didn't exist. Nope. Nobody taught us this stuff. Nope. Movies. And, and from, a, from a woman's perspective as well, nobody taught you how to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Nobody taught any of us how to be in a relationship, how to have conscious communication, mm-hmm. how to meditate, to do anything related to basically what you need most in, mm-hmm. the, in the world, Yeah, which is a whole separate tangent and a slippery slope going into public school system critiques, Robert. But Indeed. We, we can't go there. Indeed. Um, all right. Thank you. You're welcome. Super fun. Before we, uh, before we wrap up, uh, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? I know you've got the book. You've got a website. Everything can be found at robertkandell.com. That's K-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. You can find my book there. I did the audiobook myself, so you can download three chapters. Uh, for those who like audiobook, uh, my podcast, my writing, everything is, can be found at robertkandell.com. This is fun, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you are a very interesting human. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I am an interesting it a, human. It was a good strategy leading with the orgy thing. There you go. Yeah, and I appreciate your time, man. Thanks Pleasure. for all that you do. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We just did a podcast. It's fun, right? Those tips at the end are fire. Guaranteed to work. Um, I've included in the show notes links to his book, his podcast, his website. You can find him on Instagram. So if you're interested, do yourself a favor. Do a little bit more research. Check him out. Scope out his workshops. He's uh, doing all kinds of cool things. And as always... If you feel like you know somebody in your life that would benefit from this episode, from the knowledge dropped by Mr. Kandel, please do send it along, share it, post it, all the things. If you want to leave me a review online that makes me smile, that is always sincerely appreciated. I just absolutely adore you. I appreciate you taking the time out of your life to listen to this voice in your earbones right now. I love you. You're the fucking best. I just adore you. Mm. Keep living life. Keep having fun, and I'll see you next time. Well, no, I won't, but, like, you'll hear me next time. You know what I mean.